Sound of Hockey episode 106. We're calling this the Yari Curry episode. Uh, John, why are we doing that? Is it because he wore number 106 on his jersey? Uh, not exactly. He actually had 106 goals in his playoff, Stanley Cup playoff career. Oh. Nice. How many well, of those good were, for him. How many of those were set up by Wayne Gretzky? Uh, you'll have to check the advanced <laughs> analytics on that one, Andy. <laughs> uh, we're going to need you to dig a little deeper here, John, yeah. before you start just throwing out these numbers. Um, but nonetheless, very fine, poignant fine. stat. Fine, he wore 106. <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless, very poignant stat that you chose there, so well done. Uh, obviously, we know now that the Tampa Bay Lightning are your Stanley Cup champions, so good on them. This is Sound of Hockey. I am Darren Brown, at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter, joined as always by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Ide on the Twitter. And John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2Seattle on the Twitter. And we are coming to you from Seattle. We have two interviews on this show, two short little interviews with a couple of WHL prospects that we think will get drafted. Uh, Seth Jarvis, who we think is going to go in the first round, he is with the Portland Winterhawks. And Gage Gonsalves, uh, who we think will probably go, maybe what, maybe third round-ish with the Everett Silver Tips. Uh, So both really fun interviews. So stick around for those. Obviously, the cup has been awarded now, as we all expected it would be. Uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek because I think that nobody really thought that the NHL was going to be able to pull this off. Um, But that's why we're turning our attention to the draft now, and it's coming up, what, in like a week. So figured it was... No time like the present to get a couple of prospects and and guys that play somewhat locally here uh, on the show. So Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, I think overall the better team won. I mean, they were obviously uh, the best, one of the best teams throughout the regular season. Uh, I I think they played really well. And I think it's really cool after what happened last year that they kind of bounced back this year and and, and got all the way through it. Uh, You know, Dallas was, was great. Uh, You know, I don't think we all thought they would be there. Uh, They had some injuries. They fought through it. They hung tight. Uh, and just didn't have it here tonight in Game 6. Yeah. I can't help wondering if that early bouncing by the Columbus Blue Jackets that really shocked the hockey world last year, right? You really wonder if that had anything to do with them getting getting to the promised land this year, right? Because really, I mean, they didn't face much adversity at all last year. Mm-hmm. They go in just cruising at that point and get surprised right? like everybody did. So I just wonder if like facing that kind of adversity and um, experiencing that and then early in the year, they didn't start that hot, you know, mm-hmm. and yep. um, so you, you just wonder, like, was that a, a really good learning experience for them to kind of get embarrassed like that, you know, and um, maybe that was what kind of gave them the motivation to to avoid getting bounced. I think it obviously played some role. We just don't know. I mean, there were a lot of other factors, too, but I'm sure it played a role. Actually, I saw Tampa and Boston play in Boston um, in March of this year. That was the last hockey game I've seen live. Uh, and coincidentally, the year prior, I saw the same exact game. I saw Tampa Bay in Boston, so in 2019, so the year that they got bounced that you're speaking of. And I'll tell you that it's only a sample size of, of one game per season, but they were two different teams mm-hmm. that I saw. Tampa play. Tampa was cruising into the playoffs, like you said, kind of uh, in 2019. Um, and just th- they played well, but like Boston was sending a message and ended up, you know, running them out of the building. And then the following year, Boston was the top team and Tampa Bay comes in and, and has a statement game and, and beats them. And they weren't getting pushed around. That's when they had Goudreau, Maroon, uh, mm-hmm. Coleman, 
all those guys were gritty and mixing it up and like not getting pushed around. And and I said to friend of the pod, Jason <laughs> Berger, that was a different team, right? At its core, it's the same. But so I thought there was something to that. And I think it's a lot, you know, they've talked about a lot in the playoffs is the elements that they added, mm-hmm. right, in the offseason. The, 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 the death players that you don't even think of is going to really move the needle really did when you kind of add that to the mix i think it really changed the dynamic of that team and and it showed they 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 never went to an elimination game the big thing in the beginning remember was the five overtime yep. game which was crazy right and then you're thinking like how can they last right if you know they play this five overtime game but you know uh Good on them, like you said. Um, pretty impressed. They definitely seem like the better team in all the all the series that well, they played. Well, to get yep. back to what Darren brought up too, like did they learn their lesson? I mean, that adding those three guys you mentioned, John, I think is a lesson learned from that that outing uh, where they got ousted in four games. Is they went and got those guys. You know, I think they learned that you have to have a, a little bit more of a grittier game to to make it in the playoffs. You can't just skate around. You're not going to have a lot of room on the ice. And so I think that's one lesson they learned in that offseason or even at the trade deadline is we got to get a few more of those kind of guys in our into our lineup. Well, and you saw it in the way that they won. Even you know, like when when they were winning games last year, it was like they were just cruising. You know, mm-hmm. they just they'd score their opponent into oblivion. This year, they did that a couple times, right? I remember they had an eight two or eight yep. one win, I think, at the beginning of the Islanders series. Uh, but then you know, you see them here in Game Six tonight. They win two to nothing, and it's like they look like a Barry Trotz team. You know, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're locked down and and interestingly it kind of reminded me a little bit of the way that things happened for the Washington Capitals right 2 years ago they had all these great offensive players that had played together for a long time and couldn't get over the hump and then all of a sudden you know they they finally commit to being a team that's going to just win however they need to win and in that case it was being very defensive right mm-hmm. and they win and you see it from the lightning now right they they finally had a, a season where they all looked at each other and committed to playing the way that would win in the playoffs and you know they they pulled it off so it was worth it i think the steven stamkos thing and right where he comes out and plays was it two minutes and, two and 40 yeah. seconds or something <laughs> and scores a goal in that time of course i mean that was a, a remarkable moment from this particular series um you know I, like you can't make that stuff up right he plays <laughs> in two and a half minutes and scores a goal um and that's going to be one of the things that people really remember <laughs> from the series i love seeing him out there tonight uh with the celebration in full gear like he went into the line the, yeah. uh, the handshake line and he went and got dressed which I, I love i love seeing that it just shows you how exciting that is for those guys he could have been out there in sweats and a, you know a track suit but he wanted to experience it with his teammates <laughs> and, and get in the full <laughs> full gear other things that happened tonight during the celebration so we did not have any piped in booing for gary bettman am i correct on that <laughs> i did not hear any at least there was not any booing okay uh they did replace it with a very corny song for the arrival of the cup which i thought was interesting i don't remember ever hearing something like that unimpressed by the song they chose well we've already established you have a poor taste in <laughs> that's true yeah that's true uh it just felt very nfl right like when the lombardi trophy arrives after the super bowl they do that stupid thing and then people like stand around and touch it on the way to the owners or whatever i just Mm-hmm. It was very celebratory. Mm-hmm. I did like that they had like I want to say it was maybe the ice crew out there waving flags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was like three or four just guys in tracksuits waving flags, uh, and they must have been out there just waving those things for like twenty minutes. Them. They kept waving them like the cup was out. They skated around. They're still out there waving the flag. Nobody's watching. Them. I mean, very good commitment to the bit, right? Yep. Like they were they were on it, making sure those flags kept waving. Man, 
you guys are like being a little harsh to people that have just sacrificed the last three months of their lives to, to put this on. <laughs> Who is being anyway. harsh? I have oh, done those, nothing those but flags. credit the NHL for all the great things that they did to make this. Happen. I like the flags. I like the flags. <laughs> yeah, I liked them too. I'm saying I all loved right, the flags. Right, it was right, great. Right. Darren's the one who's just a downer on the music. <laughs> okay, uh, here's things that I liked. Other things that I liked. I was very impressed by this. I Good thought segue. it was pretty cool that they had uh, actual fans live on Zoom to help celebrate. Yep. I love that they had like whoever was there in terms of the parents right families they mm-hmm. were down on the ice celebrating i loved that matthew joseph who didn't play a minute in the playoffs but was one of the you know the black aces right he got a chance to come out and um, celebrate with the team and full equipment as well mm-hmm. i also liked i don't know if you guys caught it there was a graphic that they put up on those huge screens in the background that had like a really zoomed in computer graphic of the stanley cup and it had the current team players like engraved oh cool yes i did see that That was pretty awesome so a lot of really cool touches that i thought they threw in there um Mm -hmm. obviously the things that like stick out to me are the things that make me chuckle right but how about how about scott wedgwood also going out there no oh you might you might i saw the sportsnet feed so uh scott wedgwood the third goalie on tampa and behind mclaney who i don't think got Mm -hmm. into any game no vasilevsky played every minute yeah so wedgwood was the last last player to hoist the cup. So uh, anyway, I thought that was kind of I. I mean, you talked about Joseph, but uh, it happens in everyone, every Stanley Cup. So, uh, but can you imagine those guys in particular, Joseph and Wedgwood, were in the bubble the whole time and never yep. got to play a minute, right? Never yep. got suited Just practice. Up for a game. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's yep. you know, if you don't have much going on, like that's probably no place I'd rather be. But uh, yeah. Pretty cool. You know, you heard very honest responses from the guys tonight too, just being like, I'm I'm so ready to get out of here. Uh <laughs> Patrick Maroon, who by the way, if you want to win a Stanley Cup, just hire Patrick Maroon because apparently <laughs> that's all you need. Uh but you know, he said there were dark days at times where you're just kind of in your hotel room just trying to pass the time and but you know, they they did what they had to do. That makes you feel all the all the worse for the Dallas Stars, right? Like, man, they'd stuck it out for how many months in their hotel rooms and at the end of it they they leave with just incredible disappointments so yeah. i mean i guess you can say that about every team but they were there the they're the longest two and, full months right because it was august the start of august so it's basically two yep. full months that they were all there yeah and they ultimately leave very sad um on the flip side imagine being on that plane back to tampa oh man oh man <laughs> bad must be incredible yeah. <laughs> uh the other takeaway aside from the stamkos goal like the other most magical moment i would say was when cory perry <laughs> put his stick into the wiener of Braden point in the final minute of regulation. <laughs> and somehow he got a penalty, but also Braden point got an embellishment call. And I got to tell you, if I get a stick that hard to the undercarriage, I'm definitely going down as well. And if I, I get think, an embellishment call, I am not happy about that. I think anybody who gets a stick there is going to go down to the ice. Like, yes. how do you fight through that? The sports net guys were debating it. And, uh, I think, uh, they were kind of split because a couple of them think it was embellish a little bit of embellishment. Basically, he squeezed the stick between his legs to try to like mm. sell it. Uh, uh, I didn't see it that way, but yeah, Corey Perry's going to Corey Perry, and and let's not forget <laughs> he came up pretty huge in that game, right? With two goals and forcing the game six. That's the new Corey Perry hat trick, right? Is you have a goal, <laughs> a goal, yeah, and fair then enough. You stick fair a guy enough. really hard in the wiener. So yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, speaking of sticks to the Johnson, Tyler Johnson. <laughs> Wins the Stanley Cup. He is the man from Spokane. John, I know you're a big fan. You've been watching him and keeping tabs on him for a long time. Very cool stuff. Yeah, I don't. I've never shared this, but um, he's from my sister's 
hometown of Liberty Lake, just outside Spokane. Oh, cool. Uh, and went to school with my niece. So I've been a big fan of him, and just like every any Washington-born player, um, there's only five in the NHL. I'm extremely excited that the Cup will be visiting Spokane and maybe the hometown, my sister's hometown of Liberty Lake. So... Very excited for him. And then maybe we should mention uh, somebody else. Friend of the pod, Jason Berger, who you already mentioned. That's right. Yeah. So big call out to him. Obviously, they won the cup because Jason was was <laughs> on the pod uh, during, uh-huh. during the break. So if you want to win a Stanley Cup, just send somebody uh, from the team on to the podcast and uh, right. mm-hmm. win the cup. You, well, actually, what you should do, you should get Patrick Maroon on your team and then have Patrick Maroon be on our podcast, and it pretty much guarantees oh, yeah. a Stanley Cup win. You might, you might not lose a game. And if that's, that's right. That's right. Yep. Uh, but you know what? Jason Berger, he he spins laundry better than anybody and sharpens steel like nobody else. <laughs> that's right. So uh, that's that's Most, what it is, right? Yeah, for sure. Yep. One, one other thing about Tyler Johnson that I think is kind of amazing is that he won the Chanath Cup with the Chiefs, Spokane Chiefs, and then he won the Memorial Cup with them, and then he won a Calder, Calder Cup in the AHL and now a Stanley Cup. I believe he might have even won a World Junior medal, too. So pretty yep. impressive that wherever he goes, he wins. Now, this – the last time that Tampa was in the final, he I mean, if they had won, they'd lost to Chicago, but if they had won, he probably would have been the consmith. His role's changed over the years, but he's still a valuable guy for them and and, and you know, gives them a lot of good minutes. So well, pretty that, remarkable that he's won at every level. In that previous Stanley Cup, you know, he was on a tear for essentially two and a half rounds, but then broke mm-hmm. I think he broke his wrist, uh, which right, was yeah. revealed mm-hmm. after. So he didn't have a great final. And one thing is uh Johnson definitely had a different role, but he Particularly the last two series, uh, the conference final and the final, he played really well and was getting chances. And his minutes went up. Like, you could tell, like, he was feeling it. And even though, like, he he wasn't really on the score sheet, he was – he was doing the right things and definitely mm-hmm. kind of creating opportunities that, that I, kind of helped the cause. In that first overtime in game five, didn't he almost score? I think it, it hit Kudobin's the shaft of his stick. Or yeah. That's all, all it kept it out. Like just an inch over, and that's the game winner. He almost put in a third goal tonight with a deflection right. and yep. hit a post. So um, I don't I don't think there's any concern about his long-term outlook. I mean, he oh, is no, getting yeah. older, but um, he's still contributing. And obviously, I, anyway, I can't say enough about the guy. I've, I've just been rooting for him as soon as he got in the league right knowing that he's from from spokane good stuff congratulations to the tampa lightning we should mention too that victor hedman wins the con Smythe trophy you just mentioned that a moment ago 10 goals so clutch just absolutely a monster on the blue line for that team and uh very very well deserved i thought you know i thought maybe Braden point could have snuck away with it because he he also scored clutch goals and Mm -hmm. was just a just a superstar maybe Corey perry could have taken it away even though he was on the losing team just because he'd like I said, the Corey Perry hat trick, goal, goal, and stick <laughs> well, to the grind. I, I, for Dallas, I think Pavelski was huge in this, in this yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that in jest. I don't think okay. that Corey Perry actually <laughs> would have won. But um, nonetheless, congrats to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Congrats to Jason Berger. Um, we should move on. Uh, so Bobby Margarito, we talked about him. Bob McKenzie, he was going into like semi-retirement. Uh, so he comes out of retirement, quote unquote, because he said he has to go back to work now that the draft is on the radar. And he quickly stirs up some trade rumors about Jack Eichel. What do we know about this, John? Well, uh, we know that there's nothing to it. Basically, yep. <laughs> uh, there's some calls that were made to Buffalo um, about Eichel. And they took the calls, but there's nothing serious. It's not clear if there's any any serious interest. It's something that material there that would lead to a trade. So for the most part, situations under control, nothing to see here. 
carry on. Yeah, he, McKenzie talked to his agent and his team and both said that the agent said he's not asked for a trade. The team said we're not shopping him. So it just turned out to be nothing, like John said. So it turns out to be nothing, but Bobby Margarita, he doesn't just whip up trade rumors like this well, without there were calls made like john said i, I so. thought i thought he was throwing some cold water on the r- rumors that were being spread yeah. by somebody else so mm, i don't think so i really don't think so he says imagine my surprise when i started making calls today and heard jack eichel trade rumors including unverified chatter he may have at some point recently requested a trade out of buffalo and that new york rangers are amongst interested teams this of course required further investigation uh you are right that if you go and go um he eventually says his next four tweets in that thread are all dousing it, dousing those rumors. Yeah, so sort it's of, one, it's sort one of. thing if it was like two hours between the, the tweets, but it was all that's how I interpret it. In the end, he says, So the face value review appears as follows Eichel doesn't want out of Buffalo, Buffalo doesn't want to trade Eichel, move along, nothing to see here. Fair enough, but some rumors are worth checking out slash mentioning, which I've now done. Now back to draft prep. So yeah, you're <laughs> right. I mean, he is kind of dousing it there, but I also just think, like, why would he tweet about it unless he had some belief that there was any kind of traction there? Now, I, I think it's still a long shot that they trade Jack Eichel. I just know from reading between the lines of things that Bob McKenzie says in the past, like, he knows when there's something going on, and I just don't see why he would do this unless he knew that there was something on. So just keep an eye on it. That's all I'm saying. I know that it, it looks like it's just a doused rumor, but... I wouldn't be at all shocked now if something actually comes of it in the next, whatever, six months. All right. Cold takes exposed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Write it down. Uh, transactions that have happened in the last week. And I, I feel like as things are unraveling here and we're heading into the official off season, quote unquote, I say that because God knows what this is that we're going into now. Like when will we see hockey <laughs> yeah. again? I don't know. But some transactions are starting to trickle in and, and we've seen it over the last couple of weeks. So Mark Stahl gets, quote unquote, traded to the Red Wings. I say quote unquote because the Rangers obtained nothing. Future considerations. <laughs> Future considerations. Future considerations. Future considerations. Yes. You're not allowed so to Mark trade for nothing. And a second round pick to the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for future considerations. It feels like, let's just get rid of Mark Stahl. Is what or that is all we about. need to shed five, <laughs> $5.7 million yes, off our Yes, exactly. But they also sent a second round pick to Detroit for that. So yeah. it's like, here, we'll <laughs> so give you a second round pick if you take on. You know what that trade kind of reminds me of? Like expansion draft side deals. Well, yeah. I was just going to say <laughs> that's the value of, of cap space, yep. right? And we've talked about weaponizing the cap space and and why it's going to be a big deal kind of the next couple of years because it's flat and people are anticipating it going up. Mm-hmm. So expect more of that. Um, it might mm-hmm. not be so like all for future consideration, but um, <laughs> that's pretty crazy to just shed $5.7 million for nothing. Right. To give yeah. up a second round pick to do so, too. Yeah. 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 But man, that's got to feel great if you're Mark Stahl, right? <laughs> to get traded and they're just throwing in a second rounder for literally nothing. Just we're just going to consider giving you something back at some point in the future. Not going to say what it is, but it's going to be something. Maybe. Yep. Like a seventh round so, or something. There you go. Uh, Patrick Hornquist goes to the Florida Panthers, and there is some intrigue included in this one because he had a no trade clause. Uh, coming back to Pittsburgh is Michael Matheson and Colton Sevier. So the funny thing about it is that Hornquist, it started to get reported that he had been traded, but he has a no trade clause, right? So he still had to clear the deal. Um, and then allegedly, according to Elliot Friedman, they couldn't get a hold of him. 
which tells me that he's like trying to make up his mind, right? Like, do I want to approve this or not? And the reports say that he eventually felt wanted by Florida and not wanted by Pittsburgh. So he decided to accept the trade. Um, And then comically, there are all these reports that he had put all his Pittsburgh equipment out in his driveway. Um, But that was dispelled because it was instead stated that he had just been playing hockey and wanted to dry his equipment, which makes sense. I so. like the idea of him looking at his phone, like the Pittsburgh Penguin, like the caller ID comes up and it says like Penguins and he's like, oh, not now and hangs up or I don't yeah. talk to them and just hits the decline over and over. Yeah. I like that. Finds idea. out through social media and then just throws his equipment out in the driveway. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want these yellow pads. And then the last deal we wanted to comment on was Jeff Petrie signing a four-year contract extension. Uh, the notable thing here is that it does include a no-move clause. So what kind of impact does this have on the Seattle Kraken, John? Uh, I think it's pretty significant um he was a ufa after next season so going into 2021 he if they didn't re-sign him he he would have definitely been exposed to be but he would have been a free agent now they sign him with the no move clause and all of a sudden the blue line in montreal looks pretty pretty full and so they're gonna have to expose somebody of significance let me just quickly run down the names running down in what i would say priority order shea weber Jeff Petrie, Kale Fleury. I don't know if you remember him. He's 21, Mm -hmm. but he's pretty good. Uh, Victor Mete, he's also 21. He's pretty good. Ben Sherratt and Silvertip fans will remember Noah Jolson, who's 22. Mm. So they're going to have to expose up to two of those, but probably three. That kind of opens the door for Seattle, obviously. And I think think you can circle the Montreal defense as, as kind of where we're going to get somebody from Montreal. So very interesting. I didn't expect the no move clause. He's uh, Petrie's 32. So that's kind of old. And so he could have been exposed, but obviously he provides value. He had a great season um, and, and he is a good defender. So he would have been a good pickup if they would have exposed him. But the fact that they re-signed no move clause, it does have an impact. All right, like we said, we're going to turn our attention now to the draft. So we're going to talk to a couple of draft prospects. Here are our interviews with Seth Jarvis first, and then we'll go right into Gage Gonsalves. Uh, there's a little bit of wind in the Seth Jarvis interview because I think he was outside. So <laughs> excuse that, but nonetheless, uh, you know, pretty good content here, and, and these are fun kids to talk to. So here they are, Seth Jarvis, then Gage Gonsalves. Because I'm TNT, I'm dynamite, TNT. Welcome on to Sound of Hockey, the pride of the Portland Winterhawks. Uh, he scored 42 goals and 56 assists during the 1920 season, uh, and that's good for 1.7 points per game for those of you keeping track at home. He's quickly <laughs> risen up through the draft rankings, where he now sits at number 11 among North American skaters, according to the NHL Central Scouting. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Seth Jarvis. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, here's a first question for you, just to get things rolling. Who of your teammates in Portland has the better name? Is it Clay Hannis or Cross Hannis? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, get confused, I get confused, and I've been playing with them for two years now. So uh, I'd say I give it to Clay. I like uh, I like the name Clay, but Cross definitely have the unique one too. Uh, it reminds me a little of what's been happening in the NHL because with the Islanders who were just eliminated, they had Pelic and Pollock, right? And you're like, ah. Uh, I can't keep these guys straight, so I imagine that's a little bit confusing to play with those two guys at times. Oh, it's even worse, especially because they live together. So, uh, oh, no. Else, so I can only imagine how their billets are doing. <laughs> uh, so, Seth, tell us about your hockey story. We know that you grew up in Winnipeg, but uh, you know, how did we get to the, this point where you're playing for, for Portland and on the verge of getting drafted to the NHL? Yeah, so I played all my minor hockey through Winnipeg, and uh, when I came into my second year of Bantam, 
I switched over to uh, an academy that opened up in Winnipeg. It was their first year. And we played on the CSFHL, which is a, a prep league in Western Canada. And so that's when I think I really made the biggest strides in my game. I think I came in kind of as someone who was a little bit of a hothead and just loved to score. And I think <laughs> when I started getting into that program, they, uh, they really toned me down and really brought a level of maturity to my game and also opened me up to kind of distributing the puck and getting up, get my teammates involved. And when I came into the WHL, when I got called up at 15, I could really, I could really understand how much uh, more improvement I needed, uh, even for my 16-year-old year. And then, lucky enough, I was able to uh, to crack the lineup and be surrounded by great players and even better coaches. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's honestly, it's honestly been been a dream scenario for me just going to Portland and uh, having success with hats. Hey, hey Seth, what's what's the uh, the hockey culture like there, especially like the minor league? It's it's you know it's Winnipeg's far away from us here in Seattle, but it seems like lately there's been some good players coming out of there that have actually come to the U.S. division. Are you are you tight with those guys? Do you know all those guys? Do you play with them or against them coming up? Yeah, Winnipeg's a pretty tight community. I think, uh, especially in terms of hockey, uh, whenever you kind of see someone or, or, or meet someone that's been been to the WHL, especially in that U.S. division, I think you uh, you form some kind of connection with them. I think uh, I've definitely built some uh, built some relationships with a few older guys that I've just met through whether it be training or or just talking to them about playing the WHL. And then mm-hmm. now I'm kind of I'm kind of right in the middle of my my WHL career. So there's guys younger than me coming in, and there's also Still, those guys older than me. I'm in a nice spot right now where I can kind of talk to everybody and build new relationships and still uh, keep the old ones going. And so Portland is obviously pretty far from home for you. So obviously, you, you know, you get the call that you've been drafted 11th overall in the Bantam draft in 2017. Was there ever any hesitation about taking that assignment to Portland? Or, um, I mean, did you have to think about it at all, moving that far away from home? Yeah, I definitely did. I think uh, the first question I had was, where's Portland? I had, had no idea where I was kind of getting drafted to. But uh, both my parents are, are teachers, so they, they really uh, let me pursue college and really uh, really opened my eyes up that way. So I, I had a lot of college interest, and I had I had a lot of interest in going down there. So uh, we had to weigh both our options, but I think when you – and you kind of look at the history of Portland, and then look what look what they have right now with their coaching staff and and uh, what they've been doing. I think it's it's almost impossible to kind of pass up that that level of development and knowledge that's uh, that you can kind of access at 16 years old. I think it's, it's second to none. What was that recruiting process like then to get you to actually accept the offer to come play for the Winter Winter Hawks? Was there uh, much of like a courting process, or was it just kind of we've drafted you and um, now you make up your mind? recruiting I think just because they knew how heavily interested I was in college mm-hmm. so I think they definitely they definitely spent their time with me just trying to convince me to come down to uh to training camp once they kind of did that right when you got when you get down there it's kind of hard to pass up just uh the facilities are great and then you have you sit down with the coaches and you meet some of the players I think uh it's definitely a hard place and you, you feel that that uh that kind of uh that history and the, the rich history of that program, they kind of, you kind of feel it as you walk through the doors. So I think that's something that's pretty tough to pass up. Did you know that you were going to get drafted into WHL? Like, was there some sort of hint in advance that Portland might be the t- team taking you? Well, going into the WHL draft was actually a little bit uh, a little bit sketchy just because I told most teams that I was considering college, and so that scared a lot of teams away. But uh-huh. Portland seemed to be the team that uh, was persistent on, on taking me and wasn't uh, – wasn't too afraid that I would I would go to college, and then actually when I got drafted, I was trying out for our provincial team. So I didn't know until about three hours later from one of my buddies' phones. So I kind of <laughs> you know, from, 
few important people and stuff like that. But uh, the, the feeling was all the same when you get drafted. It, it was awesome, and it's something I won't forget. So um, you were absolute going on a tear before the stoppage come um, in in March. What has the last been like uh, as far as training goes? Training, it's been it's been awesome. I think uh, we're lucky lucky enough to be in Winnipeg where the the coronavirus and the the whole uh, uh, kind of shutdown isn't quite as a uh, as heavily enforced just because it's not it's not as bad here so i've been lucky enough to have gyms and ice accessible for probably four months now five months so i've had a real good good chunk of time to really put in a lot of time into the gym which has been my number one focus is just getting getting my body more mature and building it so that's been that's been great for me and then the on ice stuff has been has been awesome as well just getting on with uh, uh a little bit more with the pro guys now so it's nice to kind of really push myself against those guys and see where i kind of stack up but uh yeah Honestly, training's been training's been great, and I think I've taken a lot of advantage of this, uh, this kind of pod. Were there any players like in your age category that that kind of migrated to Winnipeg to, to just get on the ice or, or into Manitoba to get on the ice to train? Because uh, certainly BC's probably had limited limited access to ice con- compared to Winnipeg. Yeah, there's been a few guys that have that have popped into our training group, and I've seen around the around the rink from uh, from a couple different places. But for the most part, all the guys that kind of come in are are the Winnipeg Ice guys? The yeah, guys that yeah. Uh, are, with, are kind of with the program. So I've I've seen a couple of them, but uh, not as many as you'd probably think. But there's definitely been a few that have that have kind of popped in, and I've been training here for a few months now. Yeah, that's you know I've been I've been hearing a lot of restrictions around the ice, particularly in the U.S. Probably more than more than Canada, but um, it's definitely a, a nice advantage you have probably being up there. So that's that's good. Yeah, obviously a lot of excitement leading up to the draft, um, but then the draft gets postponed, and and there's a lot of unknown. How how anxious have you been all summer to just kind of know what's next and and how that draft's going to go and when it's going to be? Uh, when it first kind of got postponed, that kind of sucked. Just. Uh, that's not, that's a day you've been waiting for for <laughs> since you kind of started playing hockey, is getting drafted to the NHL. So that was something when it got postponed. That kind of that kind of sucked a little bit. You just had to adjust to it. But I think I got over it probably within a week and realized that there's nothing I can do to make that come quicker and make that uh, make that day uh, appear faster. So I think now since it's right on the horizon, it's definitely a lot more excitement now that I'm starting to kind of realize that it is pretty much two three weeks away. So it's awesome. It's something I've been waiting for for a long time. It's been a bit overdue, but uh, the excitement's going to be all the same. And so has the NHL communicated exactly how that draft might go? Because you're, you're obviously targeted. I mean, p- most people are projecting you in the first round, and so I'm sure there's going to be a TV moment about that. Have they indicated what that might look like and what to expect? No, no, I haven't uh, haven't heard too much. I've been asking around with just my agency and see what they think, but they haven't uh, heard a lot either. So I'm, I was in my head, I'm kind of hoping it goes kind of like the NFL draft with the, the cameras in the house and mm. how that all went because I thought that was, that was pretty cool. So that's what <laughs> I'm kind of hoping happens. But, I mean, honestly, just getting drafted is the number one goal. And no matter how it happens, as long as it does, I'll, I'll be perfectly happy. Are your parents, like, cleaning the house and making sure it's ready to, to go? <laughs> yeah, they made sure to make to clean my room and make sure everything's nice and tidy. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, I was also wondering if you're still hearing from NHL teams or, or scouts kind of reaching out, kind of getting a little bit more kind of those classic interviews that you always hear about. Yeah, at the, at the beginning of the cancellation, uh, the first probably three months at home was probably the busiest I've, I've ever been <laughs> and without being in school. So I didn't uh, I didn't have any courses to take, but I felt like I was on an uh, interview at least twice a day and just wow. really really trying to focus in that way just because I think I was a prospect that kind of came on the radar a little bit later. So 
maybe teams just haven't talked to me or stuff like that. They want to get to know me. So it was a super exciting three months, but it, there was a lot of interviews. And then the last probably two months, month and a half has been really quiet, which was honestly a little bit nice just to get a little bit of break from it and really focus in on my training. And then uh, it's starting to pick up a little bit more just as we get closer to the draft. But uh, it's definitely a, a far a far less amount of teams that are starting to contact me. And I'm starting to really get kind of a, a decent idea of where I might see myself going. Any of those classic off-the-wall questions you're getting? And, and if so, what are your favorites? Uh, I haven't had too many. I know I've heard tons of interviews where guys get uh, get some outrageous questions. But I think the craziest one, and it's not even, not even bad compared to those, was just... Uh, if I'd rather take a $10 bill on the ground or an, or an $80 bill or $80 uh, out of a public toilet. So <laughs> that, was, that was the question, but obviously wow. you, you take the $80 out of the toilet and run with it. But. Yeah. <laughs> that's if, like, are you, are you willing to, you know, get your hands dirty in the corner? That's the question, right? Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to get at. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Sometimes. 100% you take the $80 and just wash your hands. Yeah. Uh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, so you're in Portland. You had a big year last year, and, and when you went to Portland, you know your coach down there, Mike Johnson. He's not afraid to play a, a, an up tempo, you know, game with a lot of speed. Was that style of play a draw to you when you were trying to make your decision? And how how have you feel that's helped uh, your development and your game? Yeah, it definitely was. I think uh, you see how we play. We play an exciting up tempo kind of style, as you said. Just uh, a team that likes to really push the pace and really make uh, make other teams that maybe don't skate as well really really try to catch up to us. So I think. Uh, I think that was a big draw for me, and he definitely made that a point of a uh, point of attack when when talking with me. Just that it will help develop, and it fits right into my style. And he was 100 percent right. Right when I kind of got adjusted to to how mm-hmm. he plays and all the systems, I think I I really started to take off. And I think uh, without that kind of without that kind of system of letting us play freely, especially when we have the puck and letting us be creative, I think. Uh, I wouldn't have the season I had. And, and you had a good season this year, but your rookie year wasn't terrible. It was pretty good. You had a decent year. Uh, but for a lot of people that don't realize it, how how tough is it to go to make that adjustment to play in the WHL at 16? Yeah, it's it's a different, it's a different kind of. I think everyone <laughs> underestimates how how hard it really will be. I think my first game when I was 16, I ended up having two goals, and I was thinking to myself that oh, this might be an easy year, and then I went <laughs> 21 games on a goal. So then it, it really humbled me and really really brought me back down to earth. But yeah, I mean, I was playing I was playing behind great players like Cody Glass and Yoke mm-hmm. Bushville, who who I mean, honestly, I was there to I was there to watch and learn from what they do and really transfer into this year. So it was a great learning year for me. Obviously, I didn't uh, I didn't have quite the numbers of you'd see other prospects in their in their first season, but I think mm-hmm. uh, I I took away a lot more uh, valuable stuff that I could have taken into this season and my my career going forward. I'm pretty sure those two goals were here in Seattle, right on opening night. I think I saw those two yeah, goals. Yeah, they were. <laughs> And I remember thinking, who's this kid? And he's scoring all kinds of crazy goals. But, uh, <laughs> so, so this last season, your 17-year-old season, the improvement was you know, pretty dramatic, obviously. You had such a great year. Was that just a matter of you being a year older and more, and more comfortable and mature? Or did you do anything to change your approach? Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with just being more, being more mature and being more ready to take on a bigger role. But I think a lot of it also had to do with I really wanted to come in with confidence. I knew we were losing guys like Cody and Bushville, who, who obviously accounted for a lot of our scoring and a lot of our a lot of our wins so I think uh, it's, I took it upon myself to be one of those guys who could fill in that role and I think uh, when I came into this year I just wanted to play confidently and I, I knew I knew how I could play and I knew what level I could play at and I think uh, I did a decent job of it in the first half but I think the second half is what I really aimed to do the whole year and I think that's what I want to carry forward. How disappointing was it for you guys that the season had to end considering where you guys were in the standings you're the top top record in the WHL chance for a long playoff run and you don't get that how, how disappointing was that for you guys? 
yeah, that was that was tough. I think uh, it's not it's, uh, it's tough on everybody. I think it's especially tough on on the twenty year olds who don't uh, mm-hmm. who aren't going to get another kind of run at the championship or another shot playing junior hockey. So just seeing those guys and what imagine what they were going through made my my situation a lot uh, a lot less uh, important as theirs who who aren't going to throw on that jersey again and not going to get another shot at. Uh, with the team we had, hopefully running for Memorial Cup. And you have a couple teammates, uh, uh, Newkirk and, and Johnny Ludwig, who've gone through the draft process before. To, have you talked to those guys at all or during the year about how to handle all that? Yeah, they've been they've been great for me. I played with Nui my whole 16-year-old year when he was kind of going through that, so I just felt he was going through. And then this year, I played with him for short stints, and he was great help for me just going through, talking to teams. And then Johnny is probably the best leader I've ever been under. Just the way he handles himself and conducts himself is someone that uh, you really learn a lot from. And I think it wasn't so much asking them questions about what the, what they experienced, but just more watching them and how they handle themselves and how they treat themselves like a like a pro hockey player, even still in junior hockey. And I think those are the little things that I could really take away from them. Awesome. Well, Seth, uh, you've been awesome with your time. I actually just have one last question for you here. Uh, I'm curious because we have a lot of Thunderbirds and Silvertip fans that uh, that listen to this show since we're Seattle-centric, obviously. Just curious if you have any you know words for fans of those teams. <laughs> 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 oh, I got I got to be careful here. Obviously, those are two great organizations, and Everett definitely gave us a run for our money this year. But I think uh, I hope they they expect a few more losses this year, and uh, I hope I can hope I can score on them a little bit more than I did this previous season. There we go. Uh, so print it, print it in the newspaper. Seth Jarvis expects a few more losses for the Silver Tips this year. We will. <laughs> We will print it. He said he hopes there's more. <laughs> all right, Seth, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it, and best of luck. We're all we're all pulling for you and hoping that you uh, get drafted nice and high and have a great upcoming season here. So best of luck to you, and thanks again. Thank you very much. We now welcome on to Sound of Hockey, a six-foot-one-inch center out of Mission, B.C., he is ranked number 80 among North American skaters by NHL Central Scouting, and he scored 33 goals and 38 assists in 60 games for the Everett Silvertips this past season. Welcome to the show, Gage Gonsalves, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're, we're happy to have you. We know that you obviously are playing in Everett, so my first question is, what are your thoughts on the Cowbells? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I never really experienced uh, anything like that growing up, like, especially in Mission. We don't have the biggest town or like the most fans. So going there and listening to those cowbells is, yeah, it's unbelievable. You can barely hear yourself talk. Right. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big venue there, Angel of the Winds Arena. So, I mean, is there a bit of a culture shock when you get to Everett from a, a town like Mission? Yeah. Like, uh, I think Everett and Mission are a lot similar in the ways of just like how the town's set up and how it's kind of like a small, a small based, uh, like town and stuff. Like everybody kind of knows what's happening and stuff. But when it comes to hockey, they just it's it's best to none like their fans are absolutely crazy even when we play those wednesday night thursday night games we're still <laughs> averaging like four thousand five thousand people a night so yeah it, it's it's been awesome to play there and uh growing up in mission does that mean that you grew up a canucks fan then yeah i've been a canucks fan since day one they've yeah. always been <laughs> the boyhood team so <laughs> unfortunately andy is also a canucks fan so. yeah i like the canucks too yeah. uh was there a player that you liked <laughs> or that you uh tried to model your game after from the canucks Oh, that's tough. Growing up, like I always watched Henrik and Daniel, so sure. I always wanted to play like them. But they're those guys on a class themselves. Like they have <laughs> something that not a lot of people can have. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I watched them a lot. Uh, a lot of Ryan Kessler. He was awesome to watch those couple of years, especially on the cup run. So yeah, I'd probably say a little 
a little bit of both of those three. So your your uh, journey to the WHL and, and now being a draft prospect is, is interesting. So going back, uh, you weren't selected in the Bantam draft. Did you think you were going to be, or, or was that a disappointment? And then maybe how did you end up getting, uh, uh, I know Everett listed you, uh, just how, how was that process? Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, it was obviously a little bit disappointing. I didn't really talk to uh, any teams before the draft. So mm-hmm. when it didn't happen, obviously I was a little bit disappointed, especially I think I think like out of the 24 guys on my Bantam team, like 20 of them or like 19 of them got selected in the draft. So oh, man. that was tough. But uh, yeah, I really think it helped me in the long run. I think that uh, just after that, with uh, Everett listing me, like as soon as that draft happened, I thought to myself, like, oh, maybe the WHL isn't for me for a second. I kind of had mm-hmm. doubts. But then uh, I think I just took it the right way. I think I took it on the chin, uh, figured out what I needed to work on, what I needed to do to get better and be with those guys that got drafted and with the top players in the league. And, yeah, I think that uh, it definitely changed uh, my mindset and my work ethic. That happened. So, so you went to Fraser Valley as a 16-year-old instead of the WHL. You had a really good season there. Is that when you heard from Everett? Is that when you got listed? And and what did that season do for your overall confidence? So, yeah, that was that was uh, the year I got listed. And then I think, okay. yeah, I got signed right after Christmas by them, right mm-hmm. after the MAX tournament. So, yeah, I think that was kind of the that was kind of the year my confidence shot. I came in, and uh, the coach kind of told me he was going to give me more of an offensive, offensive role, and he wanted me to go out there and try and be creative and stuff like that. And in years past, I didn't really have a lot of that. So, yeah, to have a little bit of a longer leash and just for it to work out, like, with coaching staff and, like, Peter Hay and my great line mates and Ethan Bowen and Matty Connor, like, it was just unbelievable how, how much my confidence grew and just, like, knowing that I can put up points in the good league and can be considered one of the top players in the league was definitely, like, a big step for me. So, so then you get to Everett, and you had an interesting year, your rookie year. You only scored the one goal, and you had, a, you know, had 15 assists. Was that was that frustrating just to score one goal? Uh did your confidence ever get shaken, or did you just keep plugging away? Uh, off the start, after the first couple of games, you kind of realize, yeah, the confidence kind of went down just a little bit, knowing that mm-hmm. obviously going from such a high and major midget to, to not really putting up the points that you wish you could in the dub. But, yeah, I don't know. We had a good team, and I wasn't scoring, but we were winning. So my confidence was always was always pretty up. We had a, we had a hell of a team, and as long as I was in the lineup contributing somehow – or if I got the odd penalty kill or something like that and just yeah learning from the older guys like it was like, I don't want to like obviously nobody wants to be a bystander but just watching mm-hmm. like guys like Connor Dewar, Riley Sutter the way they play the way they carry themselves I think yeah me like watching that and trying taking notes from them was huge for me and there has to be like a bit of a learning curve there too right I mean you you show up in this huge venue like I said earlier and um, I mean very different league probably than what you're playing in before there are a lot of hurdles that you have to clear to like get used to playing in the WHL well yeah a little bit I think just uh like the big part was like moving away from home like that was my first time away from home yeah ever mm-hmm. uh and this is the first time where you can get like benched like you can get sat put up in the roster and you're not playing tonight about something you didn't practice so mm. yeah I think there's definitely just that kind of learning those things and kind of kind of finding your snitch or your kind of your kind of attitude to try and crack the lineup like obviously not everybody can be a goal scorer so you have to find something that you can show the coaching the coaching staff in front of us that's going to make them put you in the lineup and make you keep them in the lineup so yeah yeah and then obviously you bounced back in a big way this past season you had 33 goals and ended up with uh with you know 70 some assists uh, or uh points uh what was the key to that turnaround was it just confidence just being more comfortable what was it was more playing time what was the key there yeah i think it just was a little bit of both i think uh this offseason, I really took in a good mindset. I kind of wanted to be, I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be the first unit power play, first unit penalty kill, 
kind of all situations of the ice and I took that into my training in the off season and mm. yeah it, it's been paying off ever since I think just yeah growing more ice time getting a little bit more of a leash and just uh yeah I had great line mates this year that I don't know we all connected right off the bat with Kim Dawson Barnstad we all like to talk a lot on the bench and stuff like that so yeah from the, from the off-season workouts to just talking on the bench everything kind of clicked this year and and obviously you had a lot of highlights, uh, but but there was one in particular that I wanted to ask you about, and that was your uh, your first ever shootout attempt in the WHL, and you pulled off uh, what we like, what us old guys like to call the Peter Forsberg. Uh, your first shootout yeah. was that the was that the move that you had planned that when you went on the ice? Did you plan that? And where where did you see that or learn that that shot? So yeah, I saw obviously saw it from Forsberg uh, off the bat. Like I watched him and all, like just oh my god, he was incredible in this shootout. So. <laughs> I learned a little bit from there, and then I actually skate with the goalie, Campbell Arnold, and yeah. he's kind of got my number in shootouts when I, I like going <laughs> low blocker. So I tried to just fake low blocker and, and pull it back, and it ended up working out. <laughs> so, yeah. And that went viral. It was all over you know, Sports Center, and it was on Sportsnet. Uh, what was it like to see that your goal go go viral like that all over the internet? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty – I've never really – had something like that ever so yeah I, it was like right before christmas time when i came home all my buddies were like yeah we saw you on sports center yesterday blah 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 so yeah it was definitely very cool for, for me and my family and stuff like that it was awesome it almost looked like you changed your mind as to what you were going to do like mid mid attempts there or were you always planning to to pull that move where you kind of slip it around the goalie with one hand on the stick i yeah as soon as i touched it i saw one hand right off the bat i practiced it a couple times in, uh, in the morning skate and stuff like uh, yeah it's been working active so if it it works on Wolfie. I, I have a good confidence that's going to work on somebody else. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He's a, he's a pretty good uh, like metric to use, right? If it works yeah. on if it works on Wolfie, it's going to yeah, work on everybody. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned Cam Arnold, who was the goalie for Spokane, and I, I saw on Twitter that he kind of laughed about it on Twitter with you. Uh, did you guys have some fun interaction either on text or, or something after that? Yeah, we talked about it. We're good buddies. We've known yeah. each other for a couple of years now. So just yeah, the way he took it and. All the Everett fans are coming up and saying, "Wow, that Count Arnold's a great guy!" And yeah, just like the <laughs> highest praise for him. He's we texted back a little bit, and he's like, "Thanks for putting me on Sports Center and stuff like that." But <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a great friend. He took it he took it the right way, and yeah, uh, that's really, awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. So as as the year progressed, uh, you started showing up on the central scouting list. You weren't there to start the season. Were you aware of when that happened? Was it distracting at all, or is it something you just tried to ignore? Uh it was kind of just something that like obviously you take a look at and you like cool i'm on there but uh, the way the season was working we were we were so focused on trying to beat out portland for that number one u.s division spot that kind of all the all the time and power kind of went to that obviously like parents said congrats keep going family did stuff like that but yeah i didn't really pay too much attention to it so obviously i mean you're having a great season there and then covid hits and i mean that's got to be a little disappointing because i mean you guys were really in a great spot when that happened and, and playing great hockey can you tell us how that like cancellation kind of played out for you like when did you find out that this might be a possibility how did you know how did you find out at some point i assume you got to pack up and just decide to move back home right how did covid must have must have hit junior hockey in a weird way i assume yeah i did it in a real way we were just we were about to leave for our game in tri-cities we took pre-game skate and then we came off and then everybody's like hold up we might not be going we might be going I think it switched like three or four times when we said, yep, we're going, no, we're not. And then they canceled it. And right after we came down for the, that Thursday, well, we got like a Zoom call or uh, like staying in your bill at home for the next five days, not not allowed to leave for lunch or anything like that. So that's when kind of a, that quarantine started. And yeah. we stayed for five days. 
and then on the 6th we all got tested and stuff like that and then yeah, we went over the borders and went home but yeah it was definitely tough to, to kind of see that season just go up in the air we were I think we were all coming together at the right time and we were going to do some special things but who knows, right? Would you guys have? Would you guys have beat out Portland? You were one point behind him. Do you think he would have got past them? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think we beat him. I think we had their number. Especially later in the year, I think we beat him the last three times or four times. So yeah, I definitely did. think we could have. We could have made a push enough. That first place <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we actually on this very episode, we actually have a Portland player also that we interviewed um, who's also potentially going to get drafted, Seth Jarvis. And he said uh, that he's hoping to give Everett a few more losses this year. So I'm just wondering if you have any <laughs> yeah. any responses to him. We'll see what happens, I mm-hmm. guess. I guess you guys are going to have to wait and see. Okay. <laughs> very good. Hey, uh, one last question for me. Uh, the U.S. division is pretty fun to, to see games in. Uh, as, as a visiting player, what's what's more fun for you to skate into Shower Center and play Seattle or down to Portland to play the Winterhawks? Which is which is more exciting for you? Oh, damn, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> I like I like I like Seattle. Just uh, uh, I don't know. Their their fans are yeah. You don't really look in the glass a lot when you go to Seattle. <laughs> you're definitely gonna get some back. So, but yeah, it is. It's an awesome. Like we love it. Like everybody. Everybody gets up for it. Like we wouldn't want their fans to change at all. It's they have an amazing fan base, amazing rink. It's always loud. It's always sold out. So yeah, I I really like playing there. That's awesome. Uh, so obviously this is this is draft summer for you. What are your can we what can we look for from Gage Gonzalez this summer? Well, uh, hopefully hopefully it happens. I've been uh, been working hard at it, and to finally be just around the corner, I'm super excited. And yeah, we'll just wait and see what happens. If it happens, good. If it doesn't. It doesn't, but uh, yeah, I'm just excited for what, uh, what the future holds. Yeah, very cool. Right well, on. Gage, thank you very much for doing this. We'll be rooting for you and keeping our eye on you and Everett this year. And um, hopefully, obviously, that gets up and going relatively soon. And yeah. um, best of luck yeah, to you. Hopefully. Thanks so much for yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for doing this, Gage. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It was awesome. I appreciate it. All right, thank you again to Seth and Gage for coming on. Thanks to the Portland Winterhawks. And the yep. Everett Silver Tips are helping us get set up with those. Yeah. And thanks, and it's Nick Merrick with the Winterhawks and Mike Benton with the Silver Tips who helped us uh, arrange that. So thanks to those guys. Yes, and you know those kids. I gotta say, sometimes you don't really know what you're gonna get yourself into when you're talking to a kid playing in the WHL because, frankly, they're young kids. They're very, very yep. well spoken uh, young men there. Who, um, man, they're really fun to talk to. So definitely wishing the best for for Jarvis and Gonzalez here with the draft right around the corner. Two interesting prospects. Jarvis most likely will be a first rounder, and then Gonzalez. All of us has got a great story because he wasn't drafted his first year of eligibility and really blew up this last year. And so uh, I, I would be surprised if he's not drafted. But I, I always root for those guys who weren't picked in the Bantam draft and kind of had to, you know, stick stick to it a little bit and then get drafted. Let's move into our segments. Our first segment is you don't see that every day. Uh, so. I thought this is kind of funny. There was a couple in Tampa Bay that was watching the lightning game and they were yelling shoot at their TV over and over. I believe this was in game two. So their neighbors called the police because they thought that there was some sort of violence happening (laughs) (laughs) to make up for it. They left them a 12 pack of beer. So I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah, Because the cops did come. (laughs) They did. Yeah. They're like, Oh no, we're just, we're watching the game here. So um, I guess that'll teach you to to yell shoot. Right. Um, Good stuff there. I thought that was pretty funny. You don't see that every day that somebody gets the cops called on them because they're watching hockey because they're watching a hockey game yeah <laughs> uh our other you don't see that every day this one comes we believe from a check league is that correct john I, I know that you were the one that noticed this one so why don't you walk us through it so yeah it was a shootout attempt player okay. comes down takes a shot hits the goalie kind of uh on the blocker bounces up 
in in front. So the you see the ref in the background kind of voice no goal, but it had this like vortex on it or a bite, <laughs> if you will, on like a golf a golf Some ball. English. Yeah, yeah, and it bit back when it landed and went right back into the net. And uh, yeah, I was in this Czech league, pro league, and I was awarded a goal. But at first, the ref kind of waved it off. <laughs> I've never seen that in hockey, but I have seen a soccer clip of that, of the same kind of thing, a penalty shot that goes up in the air, and then the goalie's celebrating while the ball lands and bounces. I think that one's fake. I've thought <laughs> that, that one fake? was fake. I've seen that one around. I've been duped by the internet? Well, I think the goalie gets a little too uh, over-eager to celebrate. And, and mm. how, how can I trust the internet anymore? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I thought all the best information in the world gets put on the internet because anybody yes. can post. But yep. Yeah, and then we actually had a third. You don't see that every day. From Sportsnet Stats, uh, Corey Perry is the first player in NHL history to score a regular season goal and a playoff goal in September because he his team started on September 30th against the Kings uh, in London. Yeah, and wow, then wow. and then he scored again here in September in these very bizarre playoffs. So something tells me have... that's a record that will never be broken. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> bold take yeah. here. That, that that's that's gonna stand forever. So you don't see that every day. <laughs> We now move on to our weekly one-timers. Our first weekly one-timer. The San Jose Sharks have hired a head coach. John, I feel like you predicted this a couple weeks ago. Who'd they hire? Uh, Their interim coach, Bob Bugner. Ooh. Yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, big one there. Yeah, big. Yeah, great. (laughs) John sounds excited. All right, our next weekly one-timer. Chris Stewart has retired after 13 seasons in the NHL, and I'm pretty sure he played for every team in the league during that time. Did he not? Feels like it. I believe he played for eight teams. Okay, pretty close. That's close. Yeah, that's 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 quite a bit. <laughs> He's a big dude. He had some he had some good hands. What I loved about Chris Stewart was he did this thing where he would sprint down the hallway and onto the ice. Like whenever his team went on the ice, he would he would sprint. They call it the Stewie sprint. So he was a great playoff player. That's what I remember. He had such bite in the playoffs and and kind of that kind of that grit we were talking about. Just the willing to like sacrifice and just go crazy and uh when he made the playoffs he was an impact player yes did you see his tweet by the way or his instagram photo of all the chairs yeah he had lawn chairs <laughs> that had like essentially jersey his jerseys painted on it. oh nice and that's, that's how awesome. i knew he had eight so yeah can you guys name any of the teams <laughs> oh, he played Jesus. for uh philadelphia wild Flyers. times two fly actually you know what he, he only for... played for seven because he's he played for the wild twice and he's got oh. he's got the home wild jersey and the white jersey yeah he play for the flyers he did yeah recently he, that's where he played. Did, just, did he play for the Senators? He did not play for the Senators. Oh, oh I thought he did. Uh, Sabres, pretty sure he played for the yep. Sabres. Blues. Uh, yep. yep. There's two I don't even remember him playing. Panthers. On. The Ducks. The Ducks. The Ducks he played on, not the Panthers. Ooh. Uh, this is bad. One? Well, you might as well just name the rest of the league. So Yeah. Every so, team in the Pacific Division. Uh, he started with Colorado, I believe. Uh, so Colorado and Calgary were there. So okay. real quick, Colorado, St. Louis, Buffalo, Minnesota, Anaheim, Minnesota again, Calgary, and Philadelphia. Okay, there you go. And now he's actually been hired by Philadelphia to yes, work right. uh, in some sort of development, development role. So yep. Yep. good for him. Our next weekly one-timer. The Masterton Trophy goes to Bobby Ryan, as we hoped it would, right? Because we, we loved his comeback story. Uh, but then what happened, Andy? Uh, he was released by the Senators just a few weeks later. So thanks and goodbye. <laughs> So they bought him out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep, they bought him out, yeah. He had a pretty high salary. Yeah. And he was getting essentially overpaid for his output. But either way, that's kind of a bummer. But he also kind of issued a statement thanking everybody and mm-hmm. and totally under, understood the situation. 
Um, so I'm really hoping he gets picked up by somebody. Uh, I think, I think he's he got will. some more. Yeah, I think he's got some more legs. Um, you know, particularly got himself right, and uh, I'm really rooting for that guy. I, I I don't think this is an ugly thing to have happen. Just the timing of it is a little awkward. You know, it just looks a little askew when you, you get rid of a guy like that. But you know, it, I mean, it makes sense when you look at why they did it. Yep. And, I mean, yeah. they have to start moving ahead. So interestingly, let's talk about the Senators for just a moment because they are actually like well below the cap floor at this point. I mean, they mm-hmm. are. They are selling everything they can. It makes sense that they would do this, just get rid of any kind of like big salary that you have on the books. But nonetheless, yeah, like you said, Andy, it's it's a little interesting, the timing of it, um, you know, just the optics, I guess, if you will, are a little Yeah, it looks little worse strange, than it probably but, is, yeah. Yeah, but really, I mean, if you're, I've said this before, I think, on the podcast, that really, like, the best thing you can do in hockey is get bought out and then signed by another team, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good for him. <laughs> Two paychecks. I mean, yeah. isn't Rick DiPietro still getting paid by the Islanders, so. I think so. Um, <laughs> our final weekly one-timer. The QM MJHL has asked for government assistance, which the government might help them out, but only if they agree to do what, Andy? Uh, do something to get rid of fight, not get rid of, but curb fighting in their league. Uh, interesting. Really interesting situation. So they're asking, you remember like a month ago, we talked about how they're coming back early. They start this Friday, their regular mm-hmm. season. But in oh. Quebec, the province of Quebec, they're not playing with any fans, which seemed odd because we know the junior teams need gate revenue. So it turns out that they, the league had asked the province of Quebec uh, for, for a loan or, or assistance for $20 million. And the government came back and said, we'll give that to you, but we want you to do, we want you to, to limit fighting. So the league explored some options. Uh, they were looking at maybe making fighting a five minute and five minute for fighting and then plus a 10 minute misconduct. And then adding some suspensions. If you get in more than two fights in a season, you start getting suspended or something like that. Uh, it got voted down by the, the board of governors, but it's not clear whether or not the board of governors knew the money was attached to it. So there could be another vote coming. Oh, so man. it's just a really interesting situation to watch. It's like, you know, if you, how bad do you want that money? Now the Q, hmm. uh, I, I forget the actual stat. They had something like 380 fights last year. Uh, by comparison, I think the WHL was over 500, which, which isn't surprising because the WHL has always kind of been the rougher league of all the junior leagues. But, um, you know, the Q already had done some things. I think, I think there was already a rule that if you get in more than five fights, you get a, your, your fifth fight or sixth fight, you get a suspension for a couple games. So they, They'd already taken some steps, but it sounds like the government wants them to take more. Interesting. Very interesting. That wraps up our weekly one-timers. We close the show with our tweets of the week. Andy, your tweet of the week? My tweet of the week? Since we're, since we're talking about the draft and we've talked a lot about goalies, my tweet of the week comes from a guy named Paul Campbell, who is with In Goal Media. So he knows goalies. And he tweets out, don't draft goalies in the first round. In fact, don't draft them at all. You summon them. Draw a perfect blue chalk circle on a frozen <laughs> pond. Build a fire of broken blades inside it, taped only in black, and drop a quartered puck into the blaze. Four tiny goalies will emerge. <laughs> That's actually how I was born. That's the story of my birth. So I always thought that. John, your tweet bizarre, of the week. A funny tweet. So mine comes from Sean Tierney, who's uh, at Sharding Hockey on Twitter. Did you say Sharding? Sharding <laughs> Hockey. Sharding. Sharding. Okay. Totally different thing. Yeah. yeah. He says, as we all know, the NHL is a copycat league. So now all the other teams need to do is draft superstar talent at all positions, <laughs> win every trade, get great management and coaching, and be awesome at hockey. Easy. Yeah. Done. Easily done. That's all. Done there you deal. go, Ron Francis. There you go. That's all you got to do, Ron. <laughs> My tweet of the week comes from, it's just some random guy, uh, Frank Trezera Jr. He says, yo, at Tony D, so Tony D'Angelo of the Rangers. Need your help getting some extra credit. Need a reply by the end of class. Can I get some help? And uh, it's a picture of he's in his college class and it says extra credit for five extra credit points. 
Tag your favorite professional athlete on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, your choice. Be sure to include a clever caption. So I debate whether or not that's actually clever. Um, (laughs) And if they respond with a comment by the end of class, 11 a.m., you will receive the points. Now, Tony D'Angelo retweeted it and said, get this guy his extra credit points. Tony D'Angelo is not my favorite person on the planet, so I'm okay kind of dragging him. But clearly, Tony D'Angelo did not follow the instructions because he retweeted it rather than responding to it. And it specifically Uh-oh. says in the instructions that he has to respond and comment. So I really debate whether this this kid deserves his extra credit for this. And I think Tony D'Angelo is the one to blame if he didn't get it. That's a tough call. I don't know. I wouldn't give it. I wouldn't grant it. I'd be like, no, nope, Tony D'Angelo you're, didn't. You're a tough didn't. teacher. Well, yeah. I mean, especially when I don't like the, the kid or <laughs> you know, the person that he's tweeting at. So I think if you're a professor that's willing to give five extra credit points for someone getting a retweet, you probably go ahead and give it to him. It's probably a good point. Yeah, probably a good point uh anyway that wraps up our tweets of the week it also wraps up our show uh hey no reviews this week for the second week in a row what's going on here sound of hockey listeners we're gonna need some some five-star reviews soon so that we can read those on our next show uh thanks again to seth jarvis and gage gonsalves for joining us and to the teams for helping us set those up uh thank you for listening please do subscribe on itunes subscribe on stitcher subscribe on spotify and we'll talk to you all next week for episode 107 cheers